Welcome to Calby Living. I'm Diane Planadan, licensed realtor with EXP Realty. And today we are so excited. We're thrilled to have Anne-Marie Lurie, chief economist at the Calgary Real Estate Board, giving her insights and intuitive thoughts on the Calgary housing market and where it's going in the future. Anne-Marie brings a wealth of knowledge. She has been with CREB as a chief economist since 2011. Wow. And played a pivotal role in keeping us all on target, on task, and in the know. We're loving to share her insights with you. And make sure you stay tuned to the very end because Anne-Marie is going to talk about where she forecasts the interest rates will go and what's going to be happening in our beautiful country for the Calgary and area housing market. Welcome, Anne-Marie. We are so thrilled you are here today to provide insight and inspiration and a little bit of your crystal ball knowledge for the Calgary and area real estate market. Recently, we were at the forecast where you presented brilliantly, and I'm wondering if you could share with our audience the insights of what's been happening and where we're going in the market for Calgary. Um, I think the first thing to really consider is when we look at what happened over the past year, um, Calgary has seen exceptionally strong sales. Um, yes, it declined in 2023 over 2022 levels, but that 2022 was a record high. So I think when we look at what just happened in sales, they've been exceptionally strong based off longer term trends. So we're doing far better than what we were doing prior to the pandemic. Um, and this isn't a time when interest rates are high. So, so I think that really some of the unpacking that and looking what's happened, we have had some shifts for sure because of the high interest rates, but we're not experiencing in Calgary what a lot of other markets have. Um, yes, our sales are lower. They have shifted towards more affordable product. No question. Where we are struggling is supply. Um, and while we're hearing this in other markets, we are one of the few markets that is seeing, um, prices rise uh, beyond like we hit new peaks last year in terms of prices. And again, a lot of this is to do the fact that demand has stayed relatively strong. Supply hasn't keep hasn't kept pace. And now we're seeing this really strong price growth in our market. So that was kind of 2023. Um, we did see a bit of a shift. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about all, you know, some of the key points, but we did see that shift towards affordability. Um, where was also interesting, and I think something that's really driving our market this year um, as well, is we're just not seeing any listing growth really in the lower price points. So one thing to note is I actually think our sales last year would have been much stronger if we had more supply, especially in the affordable ranges. Um, I think it's actually been a limiting factor on some of our sales just because um you know let's look at the drivers why are we why are we in this situation um despite the fact we have higher interest rates you know it really comes down to some fundamentals we have exceptionally strong migration into the province and that's been the number one driver um you know we've had you know population growth uh, you know has outpaced any other province um so we've had and, and this is two consecutive years of very strong growth in terms of population. Um, we are not just seeing migrants come from international sources. We're also seeing migration happen 
from interprovincial. And a lot of those migrants are coming from BC and Ontario, which are generally higher price markets. So that's really supporting our activity here as well. Um, the question becomes, why are people coming here? And, and really, it comes down to the fundamentals of we have very strong job growth and an outperforming economy. Um, and this is, I guess, a in some ways, a different story compared to what we had prior to the pandemic. Um, you know, people often forget prior to the pandemic, our economy was struggling um, and the pandemic kind of came in and we saw some shifts in housing. It really reduced the supply in our market, what was already oversupplied. So it brought us back to normal. And then we were faced with really stronger economic conditions, which really drove us into these seller market conditions that we experienced the last year. Um, now, when we think about some of the factors moving in, into 2024, um, there still is the concern of higher inflation, higher interest rates. And while interest rates are expected to come down, um, you know, this is, you know, for our market, again, that, that impact of the interest rate hasn't been as significant as some. Um, and, but there is some risk associated with that. But what we look at it as is, you know, when interest rates come down, that's going to continue to support demand, especially for people who were potentially priced out. Um, now, we're also going to continue to see that demand supported from the fact that we had no supply, listings are expected to improve, we should see some gains in listings this year, which should help really support sales growth. Um, because as I said at the beginning, one of the biggest challenges last year was there just wasn't a lot of supply choice in the market and it limited sales. So if we think about 2024, there's still a lot of fundamentals. We're still working through that additional population growth. We're still working through all of those gains in employment that's going to continue to support housing demand into this year, despite concerns over slower economic growth. Um, you know, so housing has always lagged. So, so we're going to continue to see that demand. Um, again, Alberta is expected to be better off than a lot of other provinces, um, in part because of you know, stronger commodity prices that does generally help our economy, um, as well as investment activity that's been happening, that's going to continue to support us this year. So that's going to support relatively strong demand. Now, at the same time, um, supply levels, there are some signs of improvements. Um, you know, the, the question is, is it going to be enough? Um, and that really depends on how the migration numbers look. I mean, migration is expected to slow this year. Um, but that being said, even if it slows a touch, um, we still had all that other migration that came in and and really we're still playing catch up in our market in terms of supply. Um, we're seeing new home starts rise. We had you know record levels last year, which is a good thing in terms of adding that much needed supply to the overall market. Problem is it takes time for that supply to come on. So I think when we when we, our expectations into this year, it's important to consider that while supply might start to improve, we have to play catch up with that previous demand, and it'll take time before we move into more balanced conditions. So on that basis, we expect it to continue to see some relatively strong price growth into 2024. Great. You know, and it really dominoes, doesn't it? Sort of things keep transforming and changing as time goes by because the last boom per se in Calgary saw housing starts almost twice as what they are now but that was also maybe detached and we have a lot more apartments 
So is that where the price point is increasing the most? Or have you seen a, a trend or, or some kind of pattern that's forming regarding that? Um, well, I think we have to unpack that in two ways. So first of all, if we think about the housing starts, no question we've seen a shift away from like it's not as much detached we're definitely seeing much more apartment style product we're also seeing out of those housing starts a lot more of that apartment style product actually be dedicated towards rental um rental markets have been exceptionally tight um you know there isn't much vacancy out there we've seen some rental construction growth um so so that's kind of so that nature of where that new product is coming in has changed um, and that is really, it's starting to align with a lot of the other larger cities that we see in our, you know, in the country, across the country that it typically, you start to see a little less detached, a lot more towards the higher density. Now, part of that is because it's more affordable, right? So, and especially in times of a higher interest rate environment, you tend to see people flock towards lower price product. Now, it's pretty hard for the detached market to see a lot of increased growth in the lower price range. It's just difficult for them to build that. So that's where that product of semis and, and even semis have increased a lot over. The, so we'll park that for a second. But that's where row and apartment product tend to come in, apartment ownership product, because they come in at those lower price ranges. Um, and, you know, that is the area where we're seeing the most growth. So if we really just strip out the re, like the new home stuff, just look at resale market activity, those lower priced communities, um, you know, even on the detached side, they tend to see the most growth. So if we looked at, you know, kind of our city as a whole, the Northeast, the East districts, they saw the largest percentage of growth last year compared to every other district. Now, we're also seeing larger price growth in apartment condos relative to the detached. It doesn't mean that detached hasn't grown. And I think that, you know, last year we saw stronger growth in apartment style product and row style product, which are the most affordable in the market relative to detached and semi. But we have to remember that detached prices and semi prices were increasing sooner. So, so sometimes you need to take a bit of a longer look at this um, just because, you know, just because last year apartments might have increased more. Um, they only recovered in prices last year from their previous highs. So, so I think that some context needs to be given to that. So even though we're expecting stronger price growth for apartment style product, um, as well as rural style product this next upcoming year, they're almost in a catch up phase. Um, so I think that's just an important consideration. Now, even within the apartment condo sector, the lowest price products are really seeing the strongest growth, whereas the higher price stuff is not necessarily increasing by as much. And, and it really comes down to the fundamentals of supply and demand. Um, so often what I do is I'll, I'll break out, you know, how much, how much inventory do we have in the upper price ranges versus the lower price ranges? Well, what we're seeing is in that upper price range, there is much more inventory relative to demand. So we look at things like sales to new listings ratio, months of supply. Those levels are a lot higher. So that means that really consumers or purchasers have more choice. So that puts less pressure on prices in that upper range. Whereas in the lower price points, there just isn't any supply. <laughs> um, you know, I think we look at sales to new listings ratios that are like 90 some odd percent, you know, in the 80 percent range. That means that, you know, out of every 10 homes that are listed, eight are selling. So that's not leaving a lot of room to have any increase in inventory. 
Um, and, and really that is reflective of those seller market conditions. And it's just, it, it means that they just don't have a lot of choice. So those conditions uh, really drive up higher prices. Um, so I think that on the whole, no question, we're seeing the most affordable range of every product type. Um, because obviously a $600,000 condo is very different than a $600,000 detached home. Um, but all of the lower price points of each product type, so apartment, condo, rows, semis, they're all really seeing not enough supply, really strong price growth as you get into the upper ranges of each product type, each property type. That's where we're starting to see that it's still tight, but not as bad. <laughs> so I, and, and I think that matters because if we think about, you know, anybody who's trying to transact in this market, um, if you're trying to move up, you might have a very different experience. If you're trying to buy something in the lower price ranges, it's going to be pretty hard to find product, even if supply increases this year. And, and we expect to see some listing growth this year, but I might not see that same listing growth in the lower end of the market. Um, so that still will continue to put that upward pressure on prices, um, especially for, for more affordable product. Right. Because where are people going to go? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they stay here, where are they going to go? Right. That's for, that's okay. right. And their option is Calgary or just outside of Calgary or leave Calgary. So, so I, I think we're always trying to look at what those flows are and where, where are people moving to and from? Um, and again, if you're coming from a market like B um or Ontario, you don't view our higher price points as really that expensive for you. I, I mean, it is relative, right? So, you know, the typical detached home in Toronto might be 1.7 million, whereas Calgary, even though it's increased a lot, it's still in that 600, you know, almost $700,000 range. Um, but that's still far less than some of those markets. So I think that is also some perspective and, and likely why um, even in the upper end of the market, it has done fairly well considering how much rates have gone up um, over the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. And that's incredible because people people didn't budget for that, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, you have, you're saving for a down payment. You want to get into the market. You're ready to move in. And the interest rates changed. And then they changed again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden, something that was, you know, prime, where prime was maybe one plus 2%, say on a, a home equity line of credit, is now prime, oh, 5%, 7%. That's what, triple? I don't know. It's how, how do you even like plan for that? How does the younger generation, because Calgary is a very young city. Our average mm -hmm. age is what? That's 35. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But it's a very young, vibrant city with like just so many opportunities for young people. But they want to start. They want to get in there. They want to start building their futures. What would you tell them? What would you say to them that kind of like, is it is it good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? Like, when do you know to actually take a leap of faith? Start with the apartment, because that's where the most inventory is and the most affordability, and then plan on working yourself up. Like, should they? Shouldn't they? I don't know. Um, I think it also depends on their objectives, right? So one thing I always say is, is you know, we whatever the market's doing, what is your longer term plan? 
Um, so if I try and put myself into that shoes of if I'm a first time home buyer, um, am I planning on staying in this city for an extended period of time? Um, do I like Calgary? Am I going to continue working here? Um, and then if that, that answer is yes, and you, you want to look at that for a long time and you don't want to rent and you want to own, well, then it becomes what type of product can I afford? Um, and there is, you know, one thing that Calgary, we do have options in all different price ranges. Um, now, will it be a detached home? Maybe not. Um, or if it is, it might be that it's further out. So it's not that you can't necessarily get a detached home in that, you know, under 500 range, but you might not find it in Calgary. It might, it might be a little bit further out of the city, or you might have to be looking at, you know, commuting from a Strathmore per se, or something like that. So I think, first of all, that's the what, like, what is the priority in terms of, you know, for a first time home buyer, is your priority to be inside the city limits? Are you okay with apartment condo um, or do you want something different? And I think that some of those decisions go down to what's your time frame? What is your objective with housing? Um, and, you know, what really is that longer term plan? I mean, people, you know, there, there's more to home ownership than it's not just about what the market's doing. It's about what is your lifestyle choice? Um, and, and I often say, like, I, I don't deal with lifestyle choice because that's not what I do. <laughs> but if you're making that, just yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that, that's where that decision has to be beyond just here's what the market is doing. There's a lot of fundamentals that's supporting further price growth, um, you know, waiting for adjustments because we know that it can happen. I mean, if, if something changes in your economy, um, prices can come down. We have seen that before. Usually it's tied to recessionary behavior or significant job loss like what we had in 2015. Um, but again, I think that, you know, waiting for those sort of cycles to happen, um, how much could prices increase in the meantime? So I think that anybody who's looking at this would have to kind of assess what like do you want to rent for a, an extended period of time and, and and it might be that prices don't come down as much um you know we have to remember that you know really when you have price declines like that it is often accompanied with significant job loss so and and it never necessarily lasts for a long time so we had a period where prices were declining relatively um you know for a five year period but now they're up again and and they're continuing to rise because we're having flows into our province and into our city. So, you know, if you find something that kind of fits your needs and your desires, again, while there might be short-term fluctuations, longer term, there's likely to be some appreciation as long as your city continues to grow. So I think sometimes it's taking out the short-term what you're seeing and, and having that longer-term vision when it comes to housing. Right. And that's, I mean, obviously everybody's situation is day by day, personally different, but where do you stop and start? Like I'm hearing rents are getting a little wacko and to the point where you might as well buy, especially if interest rates may come down a point. And especially if you're just paying somebody else's mortgage. I, it's just, you know, that that timing is so intricate, but the, the rents that are being charged for what you're getting, or even the homes that are being built and their square footage. And I mean, I, I toured a home the other day and it was like 1.56 million and the primary bedroom 
could fit a king size bed, but that was about it. So the lot lines are getting tighter. The the inventory is changing. It's like it's no longer that like, hey, get an apartment, move up to townhouse, move up to a detached, move up to your McMansion. Oh, start to downsize. You know that pattern doesn't seem to be flowing anymore, and that's why I posed the question. It's like, where do you start if you're just starting out and you know, the, the whole luxury condominium market is completely different because that's where the downsizers kind of have to go because there's not a lot of villa bungalow inventory either. That's right. So I, so again, that, that starting point, um, you know, if your objective is, and again, it depends on what your objective is. Um, I mean, if you want a detached home, you know, does that outweigh, like, so So, what can you afford? I guess this is the first question I'd be asking myself is exactly what price point am I operating in? And I think that you can't really make that decision of what to go into until you know clearly what you can afford. And then it's like, okay, I know I'm in this price point. What can I get in that price range and where? Um, and then it's like, how do we layer that in with lifestyle choices? Um, I, I don't know if it's always an apartment and then move up. Maybe it's not. Maybe you can get into a row. Maybe you can get into a townhouse. Um, maybe you can get into a detached house that's not quite in the city and you're okay with that. So I think that part of it is just understanding what your affordability looks like. Um, and as rates come down, and one thing to mention as well is, is keep in mind that with that stress test in place, um, you're having to stress test at a much higher rate. Um so if you're having to qualify at about a 7% rate, if those rates are starting to come down, that'll also change your qualification as well. So just it's always good to keep in mind, what is that bandwidth and how much do you want to pay in terms of, you know, a mortgage, right? I mean, there are costs associated with home ownership. Now there's costs in rental too. And I do agree, rental rates have come up significantly. Um, and, you know, when you look at it relative to owning an apartment condo, owning an apartment condo, excluding condo fees, um, still is relatively less than necessarily rents right now. And that's not the case in all markets. Like if we look at markets in other parts of the country, um, their their ownership costs are far higher. Um, so again, if you think about it in terms of rent versus own, there is still advantages there, especially if you're thinking about a longer term basis um, and you're thinking about trying to gain on any appreciation that might happen should you choose to move up later. Um, and, you know, one common thing I hear even on downsizers is where do we go, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, making that product available, but if there isn't a lot of substitute product, then, you know, how do you, how do you justify that? And again, that's part of, um, we could, maybe we'll start to see some changes in what product is being built. I mean, I think what we're seeing now with smaller lot sizes and um, like zero lot lines is in part to keep the affordability there. Um, and it makes it just much more difficult to find, you know, homes that are on bigger lots and things like that. Um, so I think, or, or these rentals, right? I mean, we know that for some of the resale product that out there, it might be that it's available, but you have to put some work into it. Um, so I think that there's a lot of options for people. They just need to really, that first step is understanding what you can afford and what you're comfortable with. Um, and then making your decision based off that um, and going from there. Right. And maybe it takes two families to come together and do that. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and some of the new product that 
that's being built now is built much more with like secondary suites yeah. to help offset those costs, right? And I think that is something that is has been much more common in other cities versus ours. And I think you're seeing some of that change to help people, especially given that interest rates are as high as they are. Um, and I mean, I know there's lots of people say, well, interest rates have been much higher. For sure they have. Um, you know, we are not anywhere near some of the record highs that have been out there. Um, but for, I think for the past decade, they've been pretty low. So there's people who are just not used to seeing this interest rate environment. <laughs> um, so, it, and it is an adjustment. Well, especially because the price point has completely different, you know, when interest rates were say 25% in like the late seventies, uh, you could buy a detached house for a hundred thousand. That same house now is five, six hundred thousand. So it's like I don't know. That's true. <laughs> it's a toughie. It's well, a toughie. And, our, and arguments are your, you know, your income is higher too now than right. it was back then, right? right. So yeah. So it's it's, it's still painful. Too. It's, it's still painful. Either way, <laughs> I, I'm thinking about you know. I remember the one nine nine days or under two percent rates, um, and you know that especially over the shorter time frame that that jump from two percent to five percent people feel that right and and that is something that you know i think even as we move into the next year there are people who are going to reassess their housing situation because some people might have locked in at some of the lows that we saw through that covid period there's been a lot of discussion that some of those mortgages are going to be coming due this year um and i think that's going to also cause some people to reevaluate their current situation now it doesn't mean they're all going to move doesn't mean they can't afford it i don't think that's the case it's more a matter of is that now an opportunity to make a change, um, and I think that's going to that's going to encourage some listing growth this year. Right, and you know uh, the the whole migration thing, which essentially subliminally started when we were at a low because the provincial government was advertising in the other provinces, come come to Alberta, please come to Alberta. And now they're coming in droves and they're like, wait, wait, stop. <laughs> Nobody can afford to live here. <laughs> stop. You know, so um, so that that's you know the compound effect of what's you know what was going on. And now people are like, wait a minute, I'm gonna retire. And I, I have a lot of relocation clients, and they're like, Yeah, I'm gonna retire. I'm gonna go to Alberta and I'm gonna retire there. And I'm going to put a million dollars in the bank and maybe spend six months in the Caribbean or something <laughs> or Florida or wherever, somewhere warm and uh, enjoy my life. Like, why would I retire and pay, you know, the, the property taxes in BC or Vancouver, bank, you know, whatever people measure all of these things. Um, yeah. 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 And it, and it is interesting. Um, you know, I typically found that people usually would come to Alberta for, um, work, right? So, um, so you know, if there's a shift in that, that'll be interesting to see if that continues to play out. And, and I guess the relative affordability does support us. Um, now, we didn't just have migration from interprovincial. We've also had a lot of international migration too. Um, now, they are different in terms of the impact on housing. They really do influence the rental market first because they're not they can't buy unless you've got permanent rent status. You're, you're not a buyer, <laughs> right. um, you know, at least for at least next year, if they're going to maintain that policy on a federal level. So I think, think that, um, you know, some of the supply challenges that we're seeing 
is is really impacting all aspects of our market because of the migration. Um, so that strong international and interprovincial migration means all these people coming here needs a place to live. They're drawing up um, a lot of that rental property. That means those rents are going increasing. It pushes more people to ownership, um, and it really just continues to filter into the the whole overall market. Right. No, definitely. And I mean, you really you can't really tell people it's like, oh, sorry, you know, Canada's closed for now until we get our act together and get our pricing down. And especially because there was a point in Toronto, I know Ontario, you know, 50% of the population lives there or something like that. A lot of US companies, especially with the dollar differential, were just buying up properties. And hey, having a heyday, renting them out, you know, just sitting on them and watching them appreciate. And I know the governments did take stands, but maybe not soon enough. Right. But woulda, shoulda, coulda. And but that's why I was really interested in housing starts, because the city of Calgary, rather than talking about, you know, increasing that, because maybe builders don't like the interest rates right now either for them. That's not going to be good for their bottom line. Wants to play with a little rezoning. Can you speak to that? Yeah, um, you know, one thing I struggle with, and, and Calgary has land. We do have land around us, and, and this is really where we are different. We are different than a Toronto. We're different than Vancouver that is, you know, basically pinned by mountains and oceans. We can develop. We can add supply should the will be there to, to add that. And, I mean, when we think about home builders, um, you know, we have seen that they will respond to the low supply conditions. Where there's been some challenges is, Yes, they're facing the high interest rate environment. They've had some challenges with labor supply. Um, But a lot of it's also, it's that backlog on the administration. So how do they get land that's ready to be developed? It takes time. And if that process is a long time, it takes a long time to get that supply on. Now, so the city has taken an approach of rezoning. um, And I guess it depends under what they're doing it for. Um, You know, if your intention is just to add additional units, um, I suppose that could work. Um, you know, I, I mean, if their intention is to add affordable housing, which is what they claim, I'd argue that that's not necessarily going to do it. Um, you know, a lot of that redevelopment might not come in at that price that's considered relatively affordable. Um, so I think that that's another consideration. Um, and, and again, I don't know what the cost. So one thing I would ask about all of this is, is does that redevelopment cost more than adding more greenfield development. Um, So if you're going to add new communities, what's the cost of adding more homes in a new community versus trying to redevelop in an existing community? Because my understanding is even in some of that redevelopment and rezoning and trying to add that density, well, sometimes the infrastructure also has to be upgraded. So what is that cost versus doing it in a new community? So um, doing a blanket rezoning, I mean, you know, there's there's issues with it, obviously, for existing homeowners, too. Um, you know, if you're in a detached home and all of a sudden your next door neighbors to apartment condo, uh, an apartment uh, sort of style complex, then that's a different sort of story. Right. Um, now, again, if it's under the whole premise of how do we increase our units within the city, that is one way to do it. There's also the other. Uh, and to me, is it easier just to 
take on just to keep developing on new land that's available. Um, we do have lots of land available even within the city limits that is potentially under an area structure plan, but the, there's infrastructure that needs to be done. And, and what are those costs associated for developers? So if developers aren't building that, the question becomes, well, what are the costs associated with it? Um, you know, there is, they've been increasing. I know the city's increased a lot of their levies that require, you know, that, that go into the development costs. Well, that, that cost gets passed down. So, so what does that look like? And I think that to me, to truly assess if your, your intention is to add housing supply, yes, rezoning can do it, um, but at what cost, right? So what is that cost spread between rezoning and um, an existing sort of area versus doing something that is on a greenfield? And, and I mean, a lot of, even when you look at like new, let's say new condo builds, but they typically are far more affordable in the newer developments um, as opposed to what you might find in your city. So, so again, under what, like, what is really the objective? If it's adding supply, um, where you have to be careful is you also have surrounding areas where there's a lot of land around them too. And you are seeing a lot of construction happen in the Cochrane, in the Chestermere areas and all around our city you're seeing that, and again, it's also about relative costs. So what is it gonna cost for somebody to own just outside of our city versus you're gonna redevelopment a property within the city? What does that look like? And I think that um, it's it's a much broader look than I think to me just at just one answer. And um, yeah, so I, I don't know if that totally answered what you were looking for, but no. I, I'm more thinking about it on that basis, right? Like, let's look at it holistically as opposed to just one solution. Well, no, and I'm really glad you said that uh, because the infrastructure and the expense of that in an older community is exponentially higher. It is. And, and I only say that because I've actually spoken to people about this. I've had people ask me, hey, can I get rezoned? What does that look like? What can I build? What can I? And, you know, nobody really knows 110% yet because I, I think the public hearings not until April. But the city of Calgary does have a map of what you can do depending where your address is, and et cetera. So they've already been thinking ahead of what the big picture looks like. But you're right. Who's going to pay for that? And you have to subdivide the land and you have to rezone and you have to redo the utilities. Who's going to pay for that? Right. Yep. And, and, you know, builders know this, like if they buy a lot in Calgary, say, you know, maybe a fifties home, maybe it's inner city. doesn't even matter what community it's in anymore. East, West, North, South. The cost of the land depends. Right. So they know exactly how much they have to buy that land for how much it's going to cost to subdivide it, and what they can build. So if you're zoned for two versus one property or four, like we're seeing a lot of that row housing uh, all, all over the city, to be honest, um, they already know those magic numbers. Now, for the city of Calgary to think the average homeowner who has maybe a good-sized lot or a teardown it's going to take that initiative. They really need to know what they're looking for. They need to know, it's like, how much is this going to cost me? And is it worth it? Because there's a yeah. magic number depending on the community, depending on what you're going to build. And 
you know, it's not for everybody to be building. <laughs> That's so, right. <laughs> so that would pose my next question. Could it be that because Calgary, let's be honest, has a lot of illegal suites already in place and uh, maybe there's only one hot water tank or one furnace or whatever, but it's a little helper for a person's mortgage. Is it essentially another way of them getting people to register their illegal suites from, from a tax standpoint? I mean, I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but how they would expect people, and, and I know it's happened in Toronto and other places, to turn their primary residence into like a, a, a fourplex or something it is beyond me because that's the infrastructure. I don't even know if it's there in order to provide that, right? And I'm talking about utilities yeah. mainly, right? Yeah, I just, I think it's interesting because we don't really know how many illegal suites are out there. And I know they're starting to track these these registered suites. I'm always curious is, you know, if you made it easier for having people to have more suites in their home, doesn't that also achieve the objective of increasing supply, um, especially in a rental shortage scenario? But I mean, um yeah, so that that'll be interesting to see if that develops, and I and I would love to see what those those actual numbers are, um, and and just the fact that you're seeing more than new builds come out with, okay, we're gonna build it up with a suite in it, um, already, then you know that is something that again you're you're adding supply, but you're it's I think it's easier to do on a newer property that's under construction versus some of these existing stuff that it's you know there's a, I know a lot of change a lot of costs associated with getting those suites up and ready so oh yeah and to, to add a suite after the fact is I don't know at minimum like let's say between 80 and 100 thousand and it's you know you have to know what you're doing but I, I toured recently Rockland Park out in the northwest it's a new community and they're, they're building a lot of different types of homes but all but one detached house had already in the show home uh, a suite. I mean, it was tiny, five, mm -hmm. six hundred square feet. But you're right. Like, that's the direction we're already going. And I, I guess I'm just not 100% sure how they foresee, like you said, the average homeowner doing this subdivision of their own homes or lots versus expanding out into the wilderness i mean <laughs> everybody <laughs> predicted that calgary and airdrie would become like one entity by now and it still hasn't happened there's still a lot of land in between there right and it's all there's about a lot of land in between <laughs> rezoning and, and you're not facing well and you're not facing a commute time so one thing i i do struggle with um you know even when you look at a push towards densification i understand why cities like it yeah. Um, but but it's not like Airdrie, driving from Airdrie to downtown Calgary doesn't take you three hours. It's, it's mm -hmm. not that type of commute. So, um, and I think that's why you really need to look at it on a more broader basis um, in terms of when you think about how you're going to add supply. Um, or because if you if you do things in a certain way, you could just drop you drive people further out to some of these um, surrounding yeah. communities. Well, and that's true. And, you know, um, suburbs, bedroom communities, they're, they're set up pretty good now. I, I don't think uh, people realize, you know, <laughs> the difference, though. They're like really tight, like tight lot lines, 
not a lot of open green spaces, maybe not a lot of infrastructure or amenities. So eventually, but that would pose me to question the schooling then, because one of the big questions I get, especially people moving from out of province, is how's the schools? And the schools, for the most part, are great. You know, public, private, separate, you know, whatever the case may be, what people want. However, there's been a lot of shifting going on with the school systems these days. And people, for example, who uh, lived in Coach Hill, well, they used to stay up on the hill and go to school there, maybe five minutes away. And now they're being bused down to the, the Bones school system. And there's no guarantee you'll actually even get in a school. <laughs> so I don't really yeah. see the school system keeping up with the demand of all the people moving in, even even if they have somewhere to live. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that is a challenge. Um, you know, well, especially when your population surges as it did over such a short time frame, um, you feel that pressure in education. You feel that pressure in healthcare. Um, you know, finding a doctor, that can be a challenge, right? So um, you need to see, especially when you have that growth, you need to see the response on the public services side as well. Um, and I agree, we haven't seen that same level of growth. Um, and, you know, some of that busing, because you've got schools in certain communities that they're an older community now, they don't necessarily, so, so they have schools that are being underutilized, whereas, you know, areas that with a lot of young children, their schools are brimming full. So how do you deal with that? And again, that's a, a challenge that's been around for a very long time. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that is something to consider, especially as our population grows. I think that the expectation is that we should see some more investment into these areas. But again, as we know, building a new school or or having that available, it takes time to add that on. And I think that is... Um, yeah, that, that lack of guarantee of, you know, what school your kids are going to go to, you generally want them in your community if you can. Um, so what does that mean moving forward? Um, you know, or, you know, are there different models to be considered? And again, I, I don't have answers for that one. Um, you know, I have kids in the education system, they're in there. So, um, and, and there's, there's some advantages when they're actually nearby. But <laughs> I think that that's something to, again, it's going to be an issue that's going to continue to be um, fairly important, especially as our population continues to grow. Right. And, and, and that's why I posed the school question, I mean, which is a simple one, but to get denser housing, because you can't expect people who are going to buy apartments aren't going to have children, right? You can't make that assumption. Yeah. Um, no. As we get denser housing, what, what does that look like? And so I'm, I'm just trying to think big picture versus new master planned community, right? Like yeah. let's yeah. hook in that new master planned community. And, uh, you know, like Calgary's actually, I think, been pretty proactive with the hospitals, how they've arranged them in different quadrants of the city. Um, but th that same kind of program doesn't seem to apply to other infrastructures, especially when it comes to schooling. And that concerns me because <laughs> the if you get more and more people living somewhere, number one, where are you going to park? I don't know. But number two, what does that look like? So, uh, but do you think the builders aren't 
really building because they don't have the, the resources? Or do you think it's because they're waiting for the interest rates or they're just not getting approved for their plans? Um, well, I think they are, like, we are seeing growth in buildings. So we are seeing much more building activity. I mean, 2023 was a record year for starts. Um, so, so there is, there has been uptick. Um, now again, I think that where there was some struggles before they had some labor shortages. Um, so that really prevented some building happening from earlier. Um, I don't know if that has fully, um, subsided like so there still is some labor challenges i understand especially with trades um but that was one of the reasons really in the beginning why we didn't see starts necessarily happen sooner um you know and depending on every developer will give you a bit of a different story but um you know some of what i am hearing is that some of it is it takes a long time to get your approvals in place it takes a long time to get things moving to actually bring it from here's some raw land fully through to i'm finally building a home on it um, and, and that's also something to consider. So from when, when we actually have a start that's registered, well, that work was done years ago before you can actually get to that start. So if, you know, builders want to try and get some more land developed and done, there's a lot of work that needs to go in there. They have to go through the approval process. Um, now again, how much red tape there is, I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't, you know, I can only, you know, from what I've heard from some groups, it does take a long time to finally get to that, you know, process, um, depending on the stage that they're at. Um, you know, but again, you know, if anything you can do to speed up that timeline, um, will help, um, add supply quicker, right? Now, um, does the interest rates impact it? Well, it does in some aspects, because again, you've got to think about they know that they have a final selling cost of this product well if you're priced because of the higher costs um because they have to fund their costs just as well and if that comes in that your price has to be so much higher you still need to have a market for it um and you know there is basically all their input costs have also risen too i mean we have to think inflation didn't just impact you know grocery stores it impacted lumber prices it impacted wages it like so it's had an impact on overall cost of construction so if their cost of constructions have risen they have they're going to pass off those costs they're going to have to make a certain profit or they won't be in business so that's that's really um that needs to happen so i think that part of that sort of decision also comes down to can they sell product in those price ranges um, and that will help decide. And, and that's why you're seeing a shrinkage of, well, I can get to that price point if I make the lot smaller, or I make the house more narrower. And, and I think that's why you're seeing some of that reaction in the new home building is because that way they can try and hit a price point where there's a lot of demand um, while still maintaining a level of profitability. Um, so, you know, a lot of that comes into play. And again, developers aren't thinking, you know, they're making decisions from like five years ago. Um, you know, so anything that they're doing now, this is not going to come available for quite some time, especially if it's a new new field development, right? So it takes time to get that there. And, and as well as their acreage assessment costs for development have been rising, mm -hmm. right, through the city. So so this is also a factor. It's just the rising cost of development, um, not just the lending rates. The lending rates don't help. Um, it makes it even more expensive as opposed to if they were lower. But I think that some of the challenges is just the cost of construction itself. See, now that's a perfect answer because that really encompasses what the new zoning is also going to have to think about. 
the exact same thing. So I love that you said that because uh, people are still moving to our beautiful city and you know, it's, it's not a great feeling when you literally have nowhere to go or nowhere to move or everything's bursting at the seams. And, you know, I know young, young families who have had to move back in with mom and dad because their rents went so high. They're like, how do we budget for that? Right. So there there has to be some good solutions going on here. And, uh, you know, I, I think I was, I heard in the states the when they the last reduction they had in the interest rates because in the U.S. I think they went a little bit higher than Canada. There was a forty percent increase in mortgage applications. <laughs> so it's so it's so intricate how it can change people's lives like that, right? It can, yeah. and as rates are expecting to come down this year, you will likely see more people come back because um, now that that qualification, you know, that should also adjust, right? So that means that more people are going to be able to afford certain products that maybe were pushed out before. So you're going to see potentially more people come into the market. So, and, and really the solution is often supply. Um, and, and again, that's, that really is key um, when you have a growing population. Like if, you know, so supply has to match that population growth to a certain extent. If we think about new home starts, um, usually you want to see it kind of grow at the same rate of households being formed. Um, cause if you don't and you have more households being formed than the new supply coming on, that's where you end up with these shortages. And, and we, and that's exactly what we've experienced over the past couple of years is that there's just much more people forming households today than they were, than the starts that have been coming on. And, and I think that looking at a broader basis, that really is that solution. I mean, um, there's been so much discussion on supply and, and or how do you curb demand? Well, people still need a place to live, whether it's rent, whether it's ownership, they still need a place to go when they move into the city. So, you know, if you're solution or you're concerned about the price growth, we've seen it in our market. When you have a lot of supply come onto the market, that naturally curbs the price growth. I mean, we've seen it because we've been able to add supply historically. We have seen that in our market. It's why we've had ups and downs in our overall, you know, price movements over the years is because we can add supply. Now, if you put restrictions on that, you're not adding supply and restrictions that have a lot less to do with land and more to do with policy. Um, then, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get, if your objective is to keep prices relatively stable, you might not get there if you, if you really are preventing more development. So. Right. And the majority of people that are moving in, whether they're migrants from Canada or new Canadians, the fact of the matter is that if we have nowhere for people to live, what what does that look like? Because, you know, our country does need immigration. We do need new Canadians. We have, you know, the the, the people who are retiring, the baby boomers, you know. Where are mm-hmm. they going? And then we have the millennial population who are just dying to get into the market. But the the middle class, per se, it seems to be shrinking. And you're either a renter or have a, a luxury home now. Or I, I don't know. It just it feels like a real imbalance because there's not enough mid-range homes available I mean, not even homes. It could be townhouses. I mean, townhouse 
in my opinion, should not be a thousand dollars a square foot. So, <laughs> you know, so how yeah. do you say to somebody, yeah. you know, like it's, it's crazy, but, but the luxury market is its own little animal, isn't it? Like, especially the luxury detached. Do you find it's very, very in tune with location? Um, I, well, first of all, we have to remember, we don't like, I mean, it's like depending, defining luxury to me, like, um, you know, really we're talking about for our market, it's over a million, right? That still is not that large of a segment of our market. So, um, and I think that some people say, well, no luxury is at a totally different price point. And again, I don't really like, to me, it's a qualitative sort of statement. Um, I look at it, if we just think about it in terms of a million plus, um, it's definitely growing. So we're seeing a lot more properties now fall into that category. Are they classified as luxury or not? I'm not really sure. I look at it as it's million plus. I feel like that's not really your average home. That's That's got to be on the upper end. Um, now, where that does well, again, you know, I it's it's seen some growth. We're seeing much more activity in that higher price point. And again, it, what's so surprising about it is that's been happening at a time when rates are high and been increasing. So that really wasn't expected. Um, typically, that's the segment of the market that you feel most impacted by. Um, and I think that the fact, it, it points to the fact that we have some fairly strong incomes here. We have you know, relatively high average incomes in, in Calgary um, and in this province, and that supports that upper end more so. Um, and then you know, layer in the fact that um, we are drawing people here from larger cities that um, go, oh, it's a million. That's not bad. <laughs> That's an average home. So, so I think that, you know, but luxury de definitely can be a bit niche. And again, it's how you define luxury. Um, you know, yeah. to me, like there's people who say a townhouse in the middle of the city, it's luxury. Like to me, I'm like, I don't know. Like <laughs> that's not like my vision of luxury will be different than your vision of luxury. Right. So I think that, you know, keeping that in mind, when I just look at the broader market, I am seeing that there is some growth in that upper end of the market as well. Um, and there are some specific communities that definitely have higher prices. It's not across everywhere. Um, you look outside of the city, some acreage markets, um, you know, they, they tend to fall in that higher price point, uh, on some parts of it, the West end of the city. Um, you know, those tend to be more higher end prices and, and those markets have also just seen some gains and they've done well. Um, now again, it also has to be relative to your location. Um, one thing to note, if you're that, and I mean, you would know this better than me by any extent, but if you're that higher price property in the middle of an area that isn't as expensive, well, you know, you might not be doing necessarily the same, right? So that's always things to kind of consider as well. It's also, there, is, there has to be a location factor to that. Yeah, um, that one yeah. thing, yeah, one thing that surprised me is in part, um, you know, again, as I said, that higher end has done so well, but when we look at, like certain communities. Um, I've always kind of went, oh, well, the West End, um, prices are quite high there, even relative to the city centre. Typically, you see the higher prices in the city centre, but the West End has seen some very strong prices and very strong price growth, um, more so than the city centre, even though the price spreads, um, you know, the prices are quite high on the West End. And, and I don't know if that's just to do with location, Maybe it is proximity to schools. There's a lot of private schools in those areas. So, so I think that also can drive some of the higher end of the market as well. No, you're you're right. And the West End has actually, now that you say it out loud, has 
kind of held its own. Even when things started going south in Calgary during the last setback, it was still strong or it didn't decline like other communities did. And interestingly enough, I preview a lot of homes as well because usually my clients fly in and fly out and power by. But <laughs> I previewed the comparison of properties. They wanted um, Eltador, but then they wanted, they're like, oh, what's this tuxedo? I'm like, mm, it's different than Eltador. And Marta Lube is different, and Killarney is different. However, the homes are the same. So you can take a home that's located in Pump Hill, and that exact same builder will build the exact same property in, say, Montgomery in the Northwest. And the price differential used to be huge. And I mean, it's getting closer. But it used to be like $300,000 difference. And now maybe it's $100,000 difference. So what I'm seeing is people are getting attracted to a community. Um, but if they can't afford that community, there's the exact same house somewhere else, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they have to make yeah. that big decision about location. And uh, if they have children, I mean, that that's a much harder harder decision, right? But um, also, I'm finding people want new, or they don't want to renovate, or they don't want to do any work. They just want to move in. And I don't know if that's impacting some of the older homes that are for sale, because some of them have fabulous locations, but uh, they just, mm, I don't know. That, that seems to be really common in Calgary. I have to admit, like, I, I've heard continually flocks to new. And, and I don't know if it's just there's, like, that fear of cost of renos. Um, and it could be just for some of those re-renovation projects, just the cost of that um, and the work of doing that, even though you're on potentially a larger lot, um, it really starts, it, it, it's how does that look relative to new? And I think that sometimes that, what happens is that that new price seems not so bad when you factor in, you know, well, how much is this renovation going to cost me? What do I risk with doing the renovation? So I think maybe that Calgarians are just drawn to that that certainty of the new. And this is, I know this price. Yes, I have to pay above and beyond what, you know, the initial builder for landscaping, things like that. But what's that cost of that reno? So now does it affect the values of those homes? Well, you know, when we look at resale markets, I mean, home prices have been increasing regardless. Like, so lately, it's like, I don't think it really matters too much where you are. We've seen resale prices rise um, everywhere. Um, you know, so city, city center was a little less than potentially some of the other districts in the city. But when we look at, you know, certain newer communities, you know, versus like an older resale home, I think that some of the concern really comes down to what is, again, it's always that cost. What is the cost of renting versus you? Um, and and what do I have to do to this home to get it to what I? And that's you know sometimes why we see that shift towards new properties, especially for um, because again they're building them, trying to keep af they keep affordability in mind when they're constructing them. So. Right. No. Exactly. So you the you're predicting. For the next year, um, basically the status quo is going to be the same. 
perhaps interest rates will come down a bit, but housing prices are going to continue to increase on average in Calgary. Would that be correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're expecting, yes, we expect that prices are, I, I still expect that prices are going to go up um, across every property type. Um, some stronger price gains to continue in the apartment um, and rural style properties. Um, again, as I said, partly because they're still playing catch up to a certain extent. Um, and as well as just that demand for affordable product isn't going to change. Even with rates coming down, it's expected to be a slow sort of adjustment. Um, and things that we got to keep in mind is even if Bank of Canada lowers rates, we might not see the exact same level of move in terms of mortgage lending rates. We've already seen some adjustments happen. Um, so we might not see the same level of move, but but on the whole, it's because supply is still so tight relative to the demand that it's going to continue to put that pressure on prices. Um, I, I still expect price growth in the detached market to kind of persist, um, obviously with the, the lower price products seeing larger gains in the higher price product. Um, but I still am expecting some pretty broad based price growth this year. Right. And, and let us pray that some, some more product comes on the market. But, you know, like we started out talking about this, where are people going to go? And empty nesters or people who should not necessarily be in their own home anymore, they still have nowhere to go. So it's, it's going to be super interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, and I know it takes time. Yeah. And it takes time for supply to adjust. Um, I've always said that they like, keep in mind, and especially because there's so much discussion over, you know, housing is in the forefront right now, especially on the supply side. I, mm -hmm. I do remind people, um, eventually we will see supply come on. We will see a better supply market. We don't tend to stay in seller's market conditions forever. Um, we do eventually see those things adjust. Now, does it mean prices will go down? No, it just might mean that they don't increase as fast as what we have been seeing, right? Um, and I think that, again, we got to look beyond this time frame and going, we're still playing a bit of catch up. We're still adjusting to the, the massive growth in, in population we've had. Um, but eventually we should start to at least start to see more options in the market and having some more supply choice for people who are here. Um, and, and that will free it, free up some, it'll make more opportunities for people to move. I think one of the challenges, as you mentioned, where are you going to go? So even if you wanted to downsize, well, if you have nothing, if you have limited options that, that will limit your mobility and you're not going to see that resale listing come on. Um, just like as seniors, unless you're going into a, you know, assisted living facility or something with room like that, then you're not adding that supply. So I think that's just something to watch for, um, you know, and part of, you know, when we think about broader spectrum on housing, you know, when we think about challenges in rental and we think about what's happening in, in all aspects, you know, there's also there's the most of like the low income stuff, um, like the social housing. Well, if there is funding that goes into that and we see more social housing there, then then arguably you could be freeing up more space and, and it all works through the whole supply continuum. Um, it doesn't, I, I just think it's going to take time. And I don't know if I'm going to see it this year, but I do expect to see some supply adjustments. Really, we'll start to feel it, I think, by next year, assuming that our migration goes back to normal. Um, and that really is the 
risk. Um, I always think, you know, when I'm thinking about the market, it's the risk of, you know, what can cause a change, right? So as long as our employment market stays relatively strong, we'll continue to see the strong demand. Um, now, if migration numbers are stronger than expected, then it's going to take longer for supply to adjust. So, that, so that's where we need to always be aware of um, those general conditions if we think about when markets can actually start to change or really start to kind of return to something a little bit more normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe that'll drive people further north towards Red Deer or Edmonton. You know, I think you mentioned at the forecast, as you go further north, housing gets a little bit more affordable. The price points, benchmark prices are a little bit different than in Calgary. Um, or is that the same if you go south, say to Lethbridge or something like that? Well, those, those markets are still more affordable than we are. Um, Calgary is by far one of the higher, it's the higher price market for sure. Um, it was different in Edmonton. So so one thing I pointed out is that in Edmonton, prices actually declined. Wow. So, so whereas Calgary hit record high in 2023, prices in Edmonton actually fell. Um, and they still, and they actually played out as, as was expected, like the higher price points, there was much more supply there. That's where we saw some price adjustments uh, and people shifted towards the lower end. The differences in Edmonton is they had supply. They had supply starting off in the year. So, so they were in a very different scenario. They had, I think, a month of supply that was almost five months oh. um, at the start of 2023, whereas we were under two. So we were, we had no supply sooner than Edmonton right. did. And I think that really does drive the difference. Now, they also didn't have the same restrictions on development. So they have been, it's been easier for a lot of builders to add that supply in the Edmonton market ahead of all of this than, than what our builders faced in Calgary. So I think that's also some of the differences between, you know, this is what happens when you can add supply. You don't see that same level of pressure. They didn't have the same inventory crunch. Now they're facing some debt, like they're seeing some challenges now, just because I think that their employment growth has been a lot stronger. So they're attracting more people there. People can still buy a detached home in the 400,000 price range. <laughs> um, that's, you know, becoming incredibly difficult in the Calgary market. So there is still options for that. And I think that's going to start to shift the Edmonton market as well. Um, as you go to Fort McMurray and Grand Prairie, they've had different challenges, so they haven't seen the price growth. Now, Lethbridge has had, Lethbridge and Medicine had a both face some supply crunch issues, and they've had some strong price growth. Now, their prices are nowhere near what Calgary's are um, by any means, but they've also seen some of those same challenges with supply, especially in their affordable product price point. So, so they've seen some of that same sort of upward pressure on prices. Um, Red Deer has been a lot closer to Calgary in terms of that. Um, and again, Red Deer, its proximity to Calgary isn't that far. Um, prices are tend to be lower, and you know they have seen some gains though over the past year as well, just because um, they've had some very low supply levels as well. So, so ultimately, when I think about the differences across the province. You know, the number one factor that drove stronger price gains was low supply, limited supply based off the demand. Right. So, right. And like then, if your supply is low and your demand's low, then, yeah. it, then it's not, you know, <laughs> then that's different. But when we look at the two together, that's, that's been the driving difference where we've seen the strongest price growth is consistently where there's limited levels of supply based off the demand. 
Definitely, definitely. Well, and you know the the hard thing is is how you know Calgary's cycle of home buying and selling used to be so predictable. The spring market would start, you know, March, April, right? Kind of revolve around, hey, we gotta nail this down by May because we wanna make sure we know what school we're going to. And are are you seeing like the the spring market starting earlier again this year, like say February? Um, well, I think COVID did, COVID changed a bunch of things. Like, so we kind of went through some periods of, um, unusual sort of activity that kind of, um, impacted because we do typically, right. There's a seasonal factor. Um, now the question is, are we going to return to it? I mean, we still see less activity in January and December and that doesn't really change. Um, I think, you know, we're too early on. We don't see February data quite yet. Um, too early for that. We're still in January. But, um, you know, when I look at our levels, um, you know, could spring happen sooner? Maybe. I think a lot of it is driven by listings. So what we're seeing right now in our market is that because we're at such a low inventory level, um, everything as listings come on, we see supply, we see sales react. Right. So if there was no listings in a specific month, whether it's spring, summer, doesn't like if we don't see that that supply come on in terms of new listings, it's impacting the sales. So traditionally, um, I think when we saw some sales increase earlier, because we did see that in 2022, we saw sales be much stronger a lot sooner. Um, Part of it was people were trying to get in ahead of the interest rate movements. So if we think before rates went up, everyone wanted to get in ahead of those interest rate movements. So we saw sales activity rise much sooner than we would typically see. Now, on the reverse, once those rates, you know, were were much higher, then you had people kind of waiting to see. But then with the lack of inventory, now it seems that much of those sales are driven by when supply comes on. Um, so it's like people are just waiting for those options. Um, and it's like as soon as I see listings rise, I see sales react in the same way. Now, yeah. once as we're into a more normal conditions, we'll probably fall back into our typical seasonal behaviors. <laughs> um, but I think that because we first dealt with just people wanting to, you know, react based off interest rates, um, that changed the seasonal factors. And now I think that just the limited inventory is also changing some of people's behaviors um, until we really reach something much more typical. Um, and we are at we haven't seen inventories this low since two thousand and six. So, right. So, so everything's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's, and, and we're bigger than we were in 2006. Our population is much higher. So, right? <laughs> yeah, know. I know, I know. So, um, any final words of wisdom you can give our community and literally people across the country on where the housing market is is going? to be for the next couple of years maybe you could just summarize it and because we talked about so many different variables here today but just yeah. a, a little big picture summary sure i think that really the key fundamental is we continue to see growth in our overall economy um, we're having relatively strong growth in our economy we're still seeing some very positive factors on our employment market this gonna is going to continue to support demand this year into next year Um, So we continue to see that demand growth. It's going to take a little while for supply to adjust. And because of that, we expect some pretty strong price gains to continue this year. As we move into 2025, um, 
as as supply continues to address, we should see that pace of of price growth return to something much more normal with what you would expect with housing. But for the next couple of years, we're still going to really reap those benefits um, in terms of price growth um, and see that strong gains because of that activity that we've had over the past couple of years. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see where the interest rates uh, end up over 2024. But fingers crossed, they do come down a little glimmer, a little glimmer. I'm a firm believer. And and they're expected to come. And and I think that another thing to note is a lot of that is based off the fact that the national economy is slowing. So I think that's where some perspective needs to be given. So even though our economy is outperforming a bit, um, a lot of that is based off the fact that slower economic activity is expected in Ontario and in B.C., Right. And and their their consumers, our consumers feel it too. We're not immune to the high interest rates and the inflation. Um, but thanks to our, our strong job numbers, it's helped to offset some of that impact. And and even the fact that our population has grown, or well, retail might not be as, as impacted as necessary some areas, right? Because just more people coming here means that, you know, it's helping to, you know, mitigate the fact that people are potentially spending less. Individuals are spending less. So I, I think that, you know, when we look at the interest rates and what's expected, if they're expected to come down over the next two years, um, it's going to take some time to get there. But they're not necessarily going to go back to that really low level that we had prior to the pandemic. Right. Yeah. So that's so another consideration. Somebody yeah. has to pay for all that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, <laughs> so it's a little bit different than what we've been in. And I think, um, you know, I, I think a higher rate, like this rate is still considered too high, what we're currently at, um, you know, but we're not expected to go back down to those lows that we had before. So, right. but they yeah. should slowly start to at least trickle down and, and it really will just continue to support the activity that we're seeing. Well, and that's great, you know, because if nothing else, people want to be in the know because I, I'm just one person who can share what I know with each individual client per se. But I think this uh, today, you providing your insights is just going to provide so many people just like, oh, okay, good. I now I know a little bit more. Maybe I can, you know, log in or, or watch those stats every month that come out about the housing market and, and just kind of be one and understand how everything is constantly shifting and changing and um, your hard job to predict people <laughs> and what the economy is going to do, you know, uh, it, it used to be far more predictable, I'm going to say, but <laughs> it provides just a little glimmer of insight to people because, you know, for, for the average person, they're sitting there going, oh, what's the Bank of Canada going to do today? Oh my gosh, is my line of credit going to go up? I doubt. What, what, you know, can I buy that house? Can, am I going to have enough for a down payment? And it's just today you're just kind of like, hey, this is the facts. This is what's happening. That, you know, 80,000 people are moving to Alberta <laughs> this year or whatever it was. I can't remember this. <laughs> so when, you know, people are informed, it's easier for them to make those decisions because buying, buying a property, whether it's an apartment or detached or whatever, it's the most money people are ever going to spend. So I really appreciate your time today. And um, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your expertise with everyone.
Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Anne-Marie Lurie with the Calgary Real Estate Board. We are so grateful for all of your insight. And I know people making a move to Calgary or even if you live locally, appreciate your expertise and your insight because it makes us all feel so much more at ease. I'm Diane Planet in with eXp Realty, ready to help you make a move.